Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lagunitas Brewing Company, challenging the status quo and crafting stories along the way. Featuring a wide range of innovative craft brews and non-alcoholic options, it's good to have friends. Learn more at Lagunitas.com. My guest on today's show, you know her as an actress and a sketch comedian, but she also occasionally fronts a Prince cover band. Yeah, a Prince cover band. A cover band that I saw perform at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. several years ago. That was the first time I realized that really diehard Prince fans are now coming to see our shows. And so there were a few ladies in the front row who were like, serious. <laughs> were they throwing panties up there, y'all? We got a couple bras that night. Love it. I'm going to come clean. Like, you can throw me anything. I don't want your stinky panties. <laughs> so this Prince cover band is called Princess. Get it? And there is one Prince song my guest loves to perform with her band. I think I always look forward to doing Darling Nikki just because it's such a dynamic song. That's an underwear throwing song. Uh, listen, Let's be clear. <laughs> I'm, by the end of this conversation, I might retract my statement. If the princess concert is really good and we're all sweating, all the underwear is going to be moist. It's going to be funky. Moist panties and Prince songs on stage. Those go together. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. And this episode, a very special treat. No news, no who said that. Just one iconic guest, Maya Rudolph. So Maya's up for two Emmys this year. One nomination for guest hosting Saturday Night Live, playing one role in particular that you might remember. Good evening, America. I'm Vice President Kamala Harris. And she has another nomination for playing Connie the Hormone Monstrous on the Netflix animated show Big Mouth. Now let's fling ourselves onto the bed and cry so hard no sound comes out. So Maya already won at the Emmys last year for these same two shows. And you know, in the last few years, Maya Rudolph has been everywhere. She's done comedies and dramas and big roles and small roles. She's hosted award shows. She's made guest appearances here and there. And it seems like wherever she is, whatever Maya Rudolph does these days, we love it. So in this chat, Maya and I talk about how she got to that place in her career. We discuss what it meant to watch her mother perform at a young age and how that influences her as a performer. We also discuss what it means to have career role models that look like you. And of course, we talk SNL. All right, this is a fun one. Enjoy. Of the two nominations, one for your voiceover work in Big Mouth and the other for hosting SNL, which one are you most stoked about? I never choose which child I love the most, but for me, Saturday Night Live is a genuine childhood dream. Like, I wanted yeah. to be on that show since I was a little kid and go there and play and like, that's what I get to do now. And so that one just has a lot of meaning. Um, also coming back to host the show and being there with my kids there, with my whole family there, like it was really a life moment, especially at a time when things had been shut down and things had felt really weird. So like the things that, that are, that are special and that are meaningful, you really, I was fully appreciating which I kind of always do with Saturday Night Live, you know? Yeah. This show is just 
become a, a huge part of my life. And it was always kind of something I loved for yeah. so much of my life. So that has a, a lot of meaning for me. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about SNL, I was I was talking to a friend yesterday. I was like, I am going to get to interview Maya Rudolph. And like, I don't know what my favorite impersonation she's done is. And we fixated on two that I love, but I want to hear which one you like the best. I love your Versace. I don't feel like cooking. I don't feel like going out. No, you don't have to. Donatella Versace? What are you doing behind our couch? I was hoping you would know the answer to that. Anyway. I love the, like, not quite Destiny's Child. Was it Gemini's twin? Gemini's twin. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, of all the ones that you've done, which is your favorite? Um, I, I don't know if I have a favorite. You're such a I good parent. Lo- no favorite well, kids. I'm tra- you know, I've been asked this before, and it's hard because it's always relative. Like, Donatella was definitely one of the big ones for me. Yeah. I felt like that was the first true, like, recurring character that I had where I felt like... Because it wasn't really an impression. It was a character. You just made up a Donna- character. Yeah. yeah, even Donatella was like, this is crazy. I love it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I felt like those sketches were really fun because I've always been such a closeted fashion nerd. So I loved getting a chance to, like, be a part of that world and all the fun stuff in it. And also just, like, we just made her into the craziest character possible. And, like, she could do anything. She could get electrocuted and keep going. And that was really fun. And then getting to play Oprah was, like... I get to be Oprah for a day, you yeah. know, like when you get to like speak to people in a way where they like their eyeballs look at you differently. Like they feel like they're like among royalty. Get ready for favorite things, birthday edition! There were just so many things like that. I think Gemini's Tim was probably the first like, yeah, recurring thing I ever really truly got to do that felt like, wow, this is really like ours. And we used to have so much fun writing those songs, those goofy songs what would what would like your one piece of like maya rudolph impersonation advice the one thing you must remember when you're doing it what would it be for those that want to get better at their impersonations i don't know that i ever have felt like an impressionist Mm. but i know that my version of it is finding something about someone's personality or their mannerisms or their manner of speech, and then taking that and finding the game in it and finding the goofiness or the joy in it. Cause I, I mean, there's, there are several forms of comedy and I've never been a big fan of, I don't like watching comedy that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like the kind of comedy that like puts people down or makes them, makes fun of them in a way that's like, Look at you. You're a total idiot. Mm -hmm. I like the, the, I think it probably comes from a place of like in the same way that kids play. And then once I'm able to find something that makes fun, because like with, you know, Kamala Harris, like I wasn't like, oh, here's my Kamala Harris impression. Like I, I didn't know how to do her, but I wanted to find something that felt like what felt like her to me, which was just like, she feels very cool to me and very like, feminine and strong and I just wanted to make her like somebody that you want to be in the room with. Mm -hmm. A Kamala Harris 
Unity Seder. Tonight we ask the four questions. How school? Did you eat? When are you giving me grandchildren? And what's with that haircut? So I think like there's just more than one way to an impression. Some people are just impressionists. Like they can just get the tics and the vocal mannerisms down. Like those are all things that sometimes they come and sometimes they don't. But I think if you've got something that feels like, I don't know. I always make them more of a character. I can't ever really make them a real person. Coming up, more Maya Rudolph. She tells me her greatest inspiration. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. There are arrowheads in the walls. I'm Ramtin Arablouei. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah. And we're the hosts of Throughline, NPR's history podcast. And for our special series this month, The Best of Throughline. You know, if we carry on as we have been, this is what we might wind up with. Listen now to the Throughline podcast from NPR. When did young Maya Rudolph realize that she was into becoming larger-than-life characters? Pretty early. Mm. I've been doing shows in people's living rooms as long for as long as I can remember. I read that you used to write one girl musicals. Yeah, I mean they were one girl musicals if I was the only one around. Usually, my friend Jennifer Stander was in them. We would reenact the soundtrack to the movie Fame, or we would do. Oh my god! Um, yes, Dream Girls or Annie. Um, sometimes my dog was in it. There weren't that many actors available. What do you think it was about your childhood that made you want to? do that kind of character work so young? I mean, I don't think it's any mystery that I saw my mother on a stage and thought that that was normal. Um, And not just that, but like, you know, she was commanding in performance and I just thought she looked so beautiful and so in her element. And yeah, that just seemed very normal to me. Um, Just like anybody, you know, seeing their mommy at work would think. And... I mean, my, my family's a very funny family, so 
I was definitely given that imprint of, of comedy early on, but I don't know why I'm the one that sort of just went down that path. I definitely think the desire to make people laugh and not cry was a big, a, a big impetus for me. And so mm-hmm. as a kid, it was a great way to remove discomfort, to disallow the pain of feeling like an other. Cause I think growing up, I felt very much like an other. Not having Why? a mom. Yeah. Well, not having a mom, not looking like anybody else, having, you know, different hair than a lot of the girls in my class. You know, the, all the, all those beautiful bumps and bruises that come with adolescence and, and being mixed, I think wasn't as seen. And well-known and no one was named Maya. Like it wasn't like a thing. (laughs) Like now people's dogs are named Maya. So wait, who has a dog named Maya? I, I, I won't, I won't say here, but I do know. Yeah. But I mean, that's a good thing, right? It's like more popular. Uh Um, Uh yeah, all of it. It's all my own personal makeup of all these things where you can, you can tell yourself that you're an other. And I knew from, not only the joy of performing, but having the reaction where people would laugh, like I knew that felt good. Yeah. So um I never stopped. Yeah. Do you still feel other? I do. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I definitely feel more me than other. I think other is more of a a childhood version of trying to assess and make sense of emotions or feelings. Mm-hmm. The flip side of other is that I was sort of raised to feel like other is a good thing because it's you and it's unique. And I mean, my parents loved me so much and like loved the like otherness into me that it was also a positive thing. So, you know, it's just kind of coming to terms with like who you are and the cards you're dealt. It's not like it's like an easy life out there in the world. Like there's a lot of things that can remind you that things aren't equal or fair or uh, right. But I do feel like I've navigated in a way that's been correct for me mm-hmm. for a long time. And that feels good. So I think sometimes my otherness can be a good thing because I definitely choose to live my life the way I feel most comfortable. Yeah. You know, there's this really fascinating profile of you that I was reading to prepare for this interview. Katie Weaver at the New York Times profiled you in like 2018. She spends mm-hmm. the first few paragraphs comparing you to God, which was very nice. Uh, oh, remember that one? was very nice. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing um, has compared since, Sam. Right? That was – and they like did a portrait of you for the spread. Yeah. It no, was it was delightful. crazy. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was very, very, very delightful. But she spent a lot of time talking about what you meant to her growing up, her seeing a mixed-race woman on screen as she was a mixed-race girl. And I've consumed your comedy as long as I've been watching you for years, and I've never really thought about, you know, like, oh, well, what message are you sending to kids who feel like another? Do you think of that? Do you think you should have to think about that? But reading that piece yesterday, I was like, oh, oh, she is representing something that's important for some Mm -hmm. people. Yeah, and I didn't really, you know, I I didn't always have the words for it. And I don't know that I always have the words for it, but I feel like I've definitely stayed in my own lane out of instinct. Mm. So I have never felt limited 
um, by my races. Yeah. I don't think of myself in that way. You know, I've just, I think I've learned enough by now that a lot of those conversations about what I am are for those people. They're not really for me. Mm-hmm. Um, having the opportunity to be all of the things that I believe I I can be has been, if anything, like such a positive, when you say like being an other and am I still experiencing that? Like it's one of the moments where I pat myself on the back and go like, wow, you were really true to yourself. And yeah. you listen to your own voice because I don't know why, but I've always thought I can be anything. I just feel that way. I, yeah. And I'm talking about in sort of, you know, in, in my mind and, and in make believe. Well, also in the, like, also in the work that you do comedically, like, you do play all kinds of ethnicities and races yeah. and ages. And there's a certain chameleon like quality. I wonder, do you think that would be less? If you weren't mixed race, if you weren't someone that people couldn't put in a box. It's such a great question. I've thought about that as well because I don't really mm. know. You know, I've only known me in this body and, um, you know, and there's always going to be frustrations. You know, I used to be really frustrated that I didn't, didn't get to play as many of the political candidates because I'm not white. We tried huh. me as Obama and that did not work. Wait, really? Wanted, yeah, that did not work. <laughs> oh, my tried. God. Did you um, get the dialogue right? I did not. No, I did get to meet him, so that okay. was cool. But I was That's dressed like cool. him, so that wasn't was probably really embarrassing for <laughs> both of us. But I, uh, but I think it all lined up in the correct way with Kamala Harris. So sometimes when I look back on things, I think like, "Wow, I was really frustrated by this thing," but I wasn't. It hadn't met up with me, or I hadn't met up with it, or you know, there's always going to be something that you're frustrated mm-hmm. by, and I, you know, I'm. I think back to those times when I was like really, you know, eager to play things. And I'm like, that's good that I wanted that. And I wasn't, you know, satisfied that I was still hungry for trying to do more things. Coming up, we dig into Maya's hilarious character on the animated show Big Mouth. Connie the Hormone Monstrous. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps Podcast. 
Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. When I watch you take on all of these different roles, like you've played Lucy Liu, Charo, J-Lo, and you just slide into it. And it is not any kind of meta commentary on race and performance. You're just like doing the role and it's fun. And it feels like you're unencumbered by sometimes what feels like this pressure in the culture to like have something big to say about race or have something big to say about gender. It's kind of just like Maya Rudolph is having fun. Yeah, and I, I think that that was also at a time when that was part of what was going on in the world. I mean, when I worked on that show, we didn't have social media. Thank mm. God. Um, <laughs> I think it's got to be really difficult to create content and to create comedy in a world when everyone's creating it immediately. I, I bet that's really hard. And not to mention that the constant criticism that's coming with it on a regular basis. You know, we used to get letters when people didn't like stuff and Lauren would tack them up on the wall and we'd see them outside Wait, really? of his office. Like, yeah, like if there was somebody that was really disgruntled about a sketch or something, they'd write a letter and huh. you'd get a letter and then you'd read the letter and that's the way it was before they could get in touch with you and yeah. or post it, you know, and then forums started and when I was there and then, then things went on. So yeah, I do feel lucky to have been there at a time when it was a time when you could really embrace the character mm-hmm. because that's very much indicative of my personal sense of humor as opposed to doing something for someone else for the wrong reasons, I think. Yeah. We got to talk about Big Mouth before I have to let you go because I'm sure you have some other interview to go to. You're busy. But, um, no, I have, not, I have nothing else to do today. Um, you cleared your schedule for, for us? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so honored. I know. It's so sweet. <laughs> um, how do we set up Big Mouth and your character on Big Mouth for folks who haven't watched Big Mouth yet? It's such sure. an interesting big role. Well, my character, Connie, is a hormone monstrous, and she began as the hormone monstrous to young Jessie, a young girl who was getting her period. What? Why am I so soaked? Let's just go back to sleep. It's blood! Did you get killed in your sleep, dummy? Actually, yes! And the hormone monstrous is really responsible for every hormone, every feeling, every, just the guide to getting you through this time. So she tells you to yell at your mom. Hey, listen to me. You want to shoplift lipstick. She tells you, you to rip up your T-shirts. Repeat while you cut up all your T-shirts. You want to She tells you to cry. Loudly. Yeah, and, and then on top of that, she's a monster. So she's a big, beautiful, hairy, nasty, stinky, hormonal monster. So she feels everything. She's... She's all your hormones in a in a monster in a sexy monster form. Did they bring it to you? And if they brought it to you when you first saw it, were you like, "What in the world?" Or were you like, "Yep, I get it." No, they. Well, I mean, technically, they didn't bring anything to me because I had started the show because I love Nick Curl so much, and um, yeah. I was playing his mom. Fred Armisen and I were hired to be his parents, and so. Uh-huh. I did a few episodes where I was his mom. And then I think early on, 
you know, with animated stuff, they always throw you fun stuff to do and a voice here or there. And they said, Nick is doing a hormone monster. Um, will you do the female hormone monstrous for this episode? And so we tried it and we all went like, oh, we, we all loved her. Yeah. She, we soon came to find that her name is Connie. And they kept writing for her because she was so fun to write for. Um, that it was like we were all kind of giving birth to her at the same time. So we were all in on it together, it felt like. Did you draw from your adolescence to inhabit the hormone monster? There's <laughs> I have no boldness in my adolescence. Um, okay. Connie's Connie is bold. No, I was not thrilled about puberty and I mean, I think I think the nice thing is giving a voice to that time. This is something that we all collectively go through individually. So we're all feeling this quiet individual shame. And yet everyone is going through, especially like everyone in your seventh and eighth grade class is going through at the exact same time as you are. You know, Connie is who you want to be, but you're, you know, you never are. So she speaks up for you. She says the things that you would never say, but then sometimes she does get you to say those things. You know, Connie's bold. Connie would throw funky moist panties on stage. Connie would do a lot more than that with funky moist panties. <laughs> Yes, most yes. definitely. Um, you know, I just keep thinking of that New York Times profile of you, the one like where you're God, which is just amazing. But the writer, it was really great. I was like, oh, it makes sense. I can see that. I can see that. Well, it was cool because she was talking about it from her perspective of growing up mixed and seeing yeah. someone on TV that was mixed. And I really related to that. You know, growing up, I didn't feel like I had a plethora of mixed role models. And I fell in love with Lisa Bonet because I was like, I know she's mixed. That girl's mixed and she's so <laughs> beautiful. Like that's also the casting of the Cosby show. Really y'all. I mean, that's TV, you know, and that, and that was like that, but like my little radar was like, I sense something. She's one of us. I'm one of her. And like, you find those people or like, you know, I used to keep a Jennifer Beals flash dance poster in my room. I didn't even know she was mixed, but I'd like, I huh. thought she was so beautiful, you know, yeah. and it's always interesting when you reflect on the way that you gravitated towards things as a kid and found these things that you can identify with. And it's just like this beautiful, like self care that, you know, you see yourself doing as a younger person. So I really related to what she was, some of the stuff that she was saying in terms of Seeing herself in someone on television, I just never imagined that I would be that person for someone else. So it's so wild to like grow up and then yeah. realize you can You're actually that. do that for someone else. You're someone's Lisa Bonet. Okay, what you just said, <laughs> I'm going to throw this computer. <laughs> no one's ever said that to me before. Hey, I mean it. I mean it. I made oh my it. god, that's the nicest <laughs> thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck with the Emmys and such. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Right. It was so nice. Thank you, Sam. Thanks again to actress and comedian Maya Rudolph. Please come back soon. In the meantime, I will be playing Princess on Luke. All right, this week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Anjali Sastry, Andrea Gutierrez, and Liam McBain. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson, and our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. 
I want to take a little time now to thank Steve Nelson. He has been my boss for a few years now, and he was the one in charge of making this show come together. He is quiet and patient and genius and smart and long-suffering and puts up with me. And I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever felt more heard by a colleague. Thank you, Steve, for always listening. I will miss you, but I'll still make you listen to me when I call you all the time for advice. All right, listeners, till next time, I'm Sam Sanders. Be good to yourselves. We'll talk soon. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.